I'll get it to you. If you brought your Bibles, you need to open up to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going through the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. How you doing? Ephesians chapter 4. Hey, buddy. Now, uh, they, they, they call it the epistle to the Ephesians. The word epistle is a big word that means letter. It's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus when he was in prison. He'd actually pastored that church for three and a half years. And uh, he, he wrote this letter to the church that he deeply loved. And they deeply loved him. When you contrast the letter that he wrote to the church at Ephesus, pay attention to this. When you con- contrast the letter that he wrote to the church at Ephesus with the two letters that he wrote to the church at Corinth, he poured his life into the church at Corinth, and the more he loved them, the more they hated him. Uh, this church was a mess, and it was, uh, talk about a pastorate. I mean, you know, in, in Ephesus, he was deeply loved. In Corinth, he was like, you know, Rodney Dangerfield. I can't get any respect. He, he was just uh, abused and picked on continually in, in the book of Corinthians. But here we're seeing this is a church that's solely uh, uh, following the Lord. They have a heart for God and a passion for the Lord. And they love their pastor. They love the founding pastor. And it's just a neat relationship. And he's, he's writing to them. And we've gone through this study together. We saw our position in Christ that we've been predestined and chosen from the foundation of the world to be adopted, to be redeemed, to be forgiven. Uh, that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. We, we've gone on to see how the Lord wants us to walk and the things that he wants us to do in accordance with these promises that he's, he's given to us. You know, guilt and condemnation can motivate someone for a season, but it, it fades. Uh, but what really moves somebody is love. Love is that thing that just uh, establishes your heart for eternity. And so this church is, is deeply rooted in love. And then as we got into chapter 4, we saw that, that Paul says, endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, and how important unity is to the body of Christ. Now, we're, we're looking at uh, our elder Bob Gainsley. We saw Penny Murray, both folks that had cancer. We talked about 40 trillion cells in the human body. Someone gave me another um, uh, piece of paper documentation that says there's probably more, than, more, probably more like 70 trillion cells in the human body. And uh, of the 70 trillion cells in the human body, it works in absolute unity to accomplish uh, purposes as the head directs it. It does these things. And Christ is the head of the church. We're this body. Now, for a body to be affected, it takes just one cell out of the 70 trillion cells to rebel, and that's a cancer cell. And, and the cancer cells rapidly divide, and it says in Romans, mark those who cause division and have nothing to do with them. And so as we see division in the body of Christ and, and this selfishness start to destroy the body, Jesus said, I did not come to be served but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for the many. And so the idea in the church is that it's, it's, it's established in love, that we serve one another in love. Christ says, love one another as I have loved you. And how, how much did he love us? He died for us. He, he humbled himself in the form of a man, even to death on a cross. I mean, we crucified God. I mean, that's just crazy. And as he said, no man took my life. I willingly laid it down. I loved you all the way to the point of death to die in your place. Even though I was reviled and, and, and ridiculed and spit upon and mocked and beaten, it was for you, and the Bible says, because of the joy that was set before me endured the cross. And so this picture of unity, that we deny ourselves and we serve one another in love, that's the unity, <clears throat> and we avoid division. And then last week, we saw this picture where uh, there's, there's different gifts in the body of Christ, and each person is given a gift, right? Everyone's given a gift. Some people are given more than one gift. No, nobody's given all the gifts. And the reason why God does that is so that we have to rely on one another, and, and, and he says, every part does its share. And so uh, the, 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 the uh, application to the study last week is, you got a gift, you need to be using it. And we also saw the, the idea that somebody comes into a church and says, you know, I haven't been around in about four months. Where have you been? Nah, I just took some time off. I just took some time off. Well, we've missed you. We've needed you. It's a part of the body. I mean, imagine if a part of your body decided just to take some time off. My dad's brain decided to take some time off. It's awful. And everybody has a part in the body. You need to find out where you fit and do that. Every part does its share. And so as we see this, Paul's saying this to the church at Ephesus, and they're getting it, and they're starting to unify, and they're serving one another in love. Everybody's got a role, and where do you fit? And so uh, now we come to Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to pick up this morning. Uh, before I have us stand, uh, I want to, to give you just an idea of what we're going to be doing. We're going to be taking a look at uh, the, Paul says, this is the church, and this is, this is how a Christian is to walk. And then he goes to this place, and he says, but no longer do this. This is detrimental to the body of Christ. And so from verses 17 to 24, he's, he's using the term no longer. 
no longer walk as the Gentiles walk or the rest of the Gentiles walk. And he goes through what that means. Now, if you don't know what Gentile means, it just means other than Jewish. Um, most of us in the room are Gentiles if you weren't born Jewish. But really, another term for it is those who weren't walking with God, those who didn't have a relationship with God. And, and, he's in, and this is the world that has no, no foundation upon God. They operate in the futility of their mind. And he goes to describe what that looks like. And that's what we're going to do this morning. So let's read it together. Would you stand with me for the reading of the word of the Lord? And then we can sit for the word of the teacher. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. I'll read out loud if you'll follow along silently. The passage reads, as Paul writes, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer, everyone say no longer, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uh, uncleanness with greediness. And then he says, but you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man. Everyone say, put on the new man. Put on the new man. Ah, do it with attitude. Put on the new man. Put on the new man. Which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. That'll be our passage. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. And we thank you, Lord, as we prepare to study it. That, Lord, in the fullness of the passage that you have entrusted to us this morning, that, Lord, we would see ourselves in this. And, Lord, if something just touches our conscience, that we wouldn't become hardened to you, Holy Spirit, bringing conviction of sin, not condemnation, but conviction, that we would hear those words no longer, no longer, no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, no longer do that. Today is the day of a new life. And so, God, by the riches of your word and by the tenderness and the gentleness of you, Holy Spirit, we ask that you administer to every heart. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, sit down, relax. Okay. <clears throat> when Paul says, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. You know, when they were in Ephesus, this is a city that worshipped Diana. Diana was uh, the god of sensuality and, and uh, an offshoot of Aphrodite. And as I've shared with you before, in the temple of Diana, there would be over a thousand temple prostitutes. Every woman in the city that resided within uh, the walls of that city who considered themselves to be a citizen of that city, uh, whether it be wife or daughter, were required to uh, avail themselves for prostitution. As the people would come into Ephesus... It was a, a trade route. It was also a port city. I've been there. Um, and as these merchants would come in, the, these what they would call these priestesses of Diana uh, would come down from the mountain, from, from the temple of Diana. They would go into the city. They'd ply the trade. The money that they received from prostitution, they'd take back to operate the temple. So every single home in Ephesus was affected by lewdness. Every, every home it, it was affected by probably alcoholism, drunkenness, lewdness. Uh, their hearts had become hardened, their, their, their lives had become calloused. Uh, we talk about a moral world, and I think I grew up, I was probably the tail end of growing up in a moral culture here in the United States of America, but then with the 60s came, you know, the free love and, and you know, doing acid and all that other stuff, and, and, and then it became immoral, and uh, we, we removed all hindrances, and we, we, we uh, you know, as Time Magazine declared God is dead, and it was, it was proclaiming Nietzsche, and and that God is dead and going through the whole process of this. And then as, as God was removed from the school system with, uh, you know, 1954 and, and no longer was prayer allowed in schools. And, and we're removing God from the vestiges of the building. And we're removing these boundary stones, these walls that had protected us morally. And we've removed all constraint. And every man did what seemed right in their own eyes. And we just went for it. Well, what have we gotten as a result of it? We've got a divorce rate that's skyrocketing. We've got abortion rates that are skyrocketing. We've got divorce that's sky. Oh, I said divorce, but marriage is no longer honored. We, murder is on the increase, sexually transmitted diseases. We've removed these boundary stones, and all of a sudden, we're just doing what we want to do. And so no longer are we even immoral. 
we've now gone to another stage where we're not even immoral, we're amoral. There's no foundation whatsoever. There's nothing that says right or wrong. There's, it's a sliding rule. It's, it's, you know, situational ethics. If it feels good to you, then go ahead and do it. And there's no, there's no compass, there's no barometer to show us where we are. Well, that's Paul. You know, we think that this is strange that we live in a society that's, that's amoral, that there's, there's no foundations anymore. Well, this is Paul. He's, he's in Ephesus, and it's, it's amoral. And he's looking at families that are absolutely a mess uh, because of, of generations of sin and people dealing with it and just trying to operate in that context without any foundation, no, no truths, there's, there's no absolutes, uh, there's no truth. And so all these people are struggling in this regard. And, and so what they're doing is they're taking their sin and instead of looking at their sin and saying this is wrong in the eyes of God and it's destroying our culture, instead they, they glorified it and called it gods or goddesses. And thus you had uh, Diana who was the god of sex and then you had Bacchus who was the god of alcohol. And, and he just took these sins and instead of, you know, they had control over my life, I couldn't get rid of them so I'm just going to worship them. And so that's what they do. And so Paul walks into this amoral city, he's talking to a group of people whose families are a mess and whose lives have been deeply affected by sin. And he's telling them, this is how you walk and this is who you are in Christ. And this is, this is what God wants to do in and through you. And he says, now that you understand this, and I've been teaching you for three and a half years, and you know the difference between right and wrong, and you're accountable to God, and you realize you have a conscience, and the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. He now says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, he says, Therefore, with this, testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. I mean, what distinguishes you between the rest of the world? You know, we're in the world, but not of the world. If you were put on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you of such? When you walk into a room, do people stop cussing, or do they cuss even more? When, when you walk into the room, they go, oh, Christian's here, or they're, they're afraid to talk to you about the things that they've been watching or doing. That, that they're, they don't call you on a Friday night to go out and party and get drunk. They, they're, you're... you're you know, don't bother calling that guy's daughter because, you know, uh, they're churchgoers and she's not easy. Does that depict your family? Or are we just like the world? Do we walk the same way that the Gentiles walk? Or, do, you know, and, and this is what Paul's saying. He says, no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. And he gives, he gives eight pictures of what that looks like, eight pictures in the text of what that looks like. And we're going to take a look at them. And, and the first one I want to look at, he says... Uh, no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the, and then this is what he says, in the futility, in the futility of their mind. Everyone say futility of their mind. Think about that, futility. Futility. A, a better way to describe that word is aimless, pointless. We walk in the aimlessness or the pointlessness of our mind. I mean, why, why do I have to go to school? Why do I need to learn stuff? Why do I have to do what's right and wrong? I mean, the smarter I get, I'm just going to be a better educated criminal, and, and I, why, why can't I just do it now? Why do I have to get up when you say get up? Why do I have to do what you say do? What, what if this is what I want to do? Who are you to tell me what I want to do? And in the absence of God, it's the futility of our mind, this idea that there's no purpose, no point in life. Let, let me just ask you this question. I mean, if you weren't a Christian, and this, this one plagued me when I wasn't a Christian, why are you here? Why are you here? Um, cosmic accident. I had some primordial soup, and then the poof, and then there was a little, and then the, the frog, and they had a wart, and it became a human. <laughs> really? Yes, as I've evolved into this marvelous creature that you see before you. Evolution? Yeah, yeah. Where'd you come from? I, it, I just happened. So life? Life just happened? Yes, it just, it just happened. In a closed system, life just appeared. Yes. Well, you can't, in a closed system, life doesn't just appear. Life has to be introduced into a closed system, i.e. our food industry. You open up the jar of peanut butter, there's no mold in it because it's killed all the life in it, and you don't want mold to show up, and so it's a closed system. Life doesn't appear. But when you introduce life, then life can start to, so you have to introduce life. Where did it come from? Oh, um, Big Bang. Okay, who, who did the Big Bang? Uh, it was... Aliens. <laughs> aliens? Really? I mean, this is the brilliant scientists of our day. Aliens. You push them and they go, it was introduced. Uh, Prometheus, the movie out. Uh, check that one out. That's brilliant. 
This is the futility of the mind of mankind. I'm looking forward to the movie. But, but Prometheus, it, you, you find your origin. Where? Aliens. Okay, aliens. Where'd the aliens come from? A Big Bang. And then who did? Other aliens. Do you see the futility of it? Okay, so, so then what's the, what, what, why, why do we have this conscience between right and wrong? Oh, that's, that's put in us by our parents when we're young. Really? 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 Then how do you know how to lie? Uh, my, ki- my kids knew that. The first word they learned was no. No. I'm like, they're your children, honey. She's on. No, they're yours. They got my looks and your your nature. Yeah, yeah, she's right. Futility of their mind, the futility of the mind of man. Why why are we here? Pointless and aimless. I mean, if there is no accountability, if there is no God, then why why aren't you just shooting each other and taking your wallets and and survival of the fittest? He who dies with the most toys wins. These people are in your way. Kill them. We don't need order and stoplights. Do what you want. Go for it. At least make something of your life. If this is, if this, if this is your foundation, that it's all about you, then just go for it. Because I got news for you. If you're wrong, ooh, it's going to be ugly. It's going to be ugly. So either live it all or don't live it all. Either yield your life to Christ and die to yourself and let Him live through you or go for this pointless, aimless life in the futility of your mind. What is the foundation? Why do you go to school? What is the point of accumulating knowledge? So you can become a smarter criminal? So you can have power? Information's power? In the futility of the mind, Paul just says, don't walk in the futility. They, they walk in the futility of their mind. Don't do that anymore. No longer walk in the futility of your mind. There is a God. There is a God. I mean, what is the point of Christians? Real simple. Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, King James Version. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they were created. You know why you're here? God's pleasure. You know why he put you on this earth? To bring him pleasure. Well... What an egotistical, self-centered God that is. You don't understand Him. You see, your, your mindset on pleasure is all about you. His mindset on pleasure is it's all about you. He wants you to be blessed. He wants you to be strengthened. He wants you to experience the fullness of life for how you were created. Listen, I can take a, a delicate instrument that they use for surgeries that would cost $50,000 and it's a certain part that's designed to do a specific eye surgery that's so delicate. And I can use it as a hammer. And guess what? It'll work as a hammer. Almost anything will work as a hammer. I've proven that in my home. (laughs) And you can use it as a hammer to hang pictures on a wall with this delicate instrument. And it'll work as a hammer. But guess what? You're going to break it and it won't be used for the purpose that it was intended to be used for. You can take your mind... And, 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 and be transformed by the renewing of your mind and glorify the Lord and walk in the fullness of the way in which you were created to walk. Or you can fill it with junk. And listen, it'll work for a season, but it's going to break down and it certainly won't be able to be used for what it was intended to be used for. And then you're going to have times where you're going to break down. Your mind can't handle it. You do have a conscience. There aren't enough drugs to make you feel better. And then you start going insane because the mind wasn't created to indulge itself in in in. in licentiousness and lewdness. It was created to glorify God and bring Him pleasure. And in that, you find the greatest joy. You find the greatest fulfillment in life. Solomon said of life apart from God. And this is the wisest man who ever lived. He had vineyards. He had concubines. He had wives. I mean, a thousand concubines. or uh, 800 concubines, a thousand wives. That's uh, 1,800 mother-in-laws. That's a rough life right there. I have a great mother-in-law, but 1,800 of them I couldn't do. And you think about this man. He was the richest man that ever lived. He made Bill Gates' money look like a pauper's amount. And, and if you calculate it and what they list in the scriptures, he was abundantly wealthy. And here you have Solomon. You know what he said? He said, vanity of vanities, it's all vanity. What's the point? What's the point? I mean... I've done it all, been there, seen it, got the t-shirt. 
And after a while, I mean, you, you think that the world has something to offer you. I've been, I've been out there. And some people go, I don't believe you. And you're the experiential type. Have a good time. You're going to come back maimed, bloodied, and beaten up because you just wanted to prove that you wanted to prove whatever. But the idea is, let, let's learn from somebody who's always, already walked through the minefield so we don't get blown up. And he says it's vanity of vanities. He just Vanity means it's empty. It's empty. I went out there, I thought it was cool, and, and it's empty. Think about the stuff that was so amazing to you years ago. I was watching this Hollywood Treasures uh, movie on Netflix, and they're, they're bringing things out that, that are iconic, like uh, uh, Dorothy's Red Slippers, and they were actually stolen from the, uh, the museum in Ohio or something. But these iconic red slippers, you know what they are? They're slippers with beads on them. They're not comfortable. You can't wear them, but they were Dorothy slippers. They're rotting. They're probably in somebody's house. Some kid probably played with them. They probably threw them away. They were talking about Back to the Future, and they wanted to show the, the Nike shoes that were self-adjusting. They're just, they're, they're rotting. Somebody paid like $30,000 for those. Why? Because it's, it, it's, it, it's a connection to the past, and it was these iconic, it's junk. People did that years ago, too, too uncommon. You go into his t- tomb, it's all rotting. He thought he was going to take it with him, his connection to the past. He's there going, it's worthless, don't mess with it, trust me. Get to know the Creator. If He could speak from the grave, He'd tell you that. It's emptiness. You you think just a little bit more. I got news for you. When you get that little bit more, it's just a little bit more. You got that little carrot in front of you and you're just running after it. And you're on that rat wheel of life and the emptiness and the vanity of it all. And God says, that's futility. It's aimless and it's pointless. And, and, and Satan's got you on that rat wheel. And I'm here, I'm here as, as, as a messenger of the Lord to call you out of the jungles of success. You're trapped. And you think somewhere in there there's hope. There isn't. There isn't enough. There'll never be enough. Happy birthday. There just isn't enough. Have you ever had that feeling at Christmas? You rip open all the gifts and there's just trash everywhere and you're like, ah, oh, that's great. You play with them for a while and you're like, eh, I, I remember our kids, we'd gifts everywhere, we'd lavish on them, and you'd find them playing in a cardboard box, a refrigerator box. They had more fun in that than the 50 million gifts that they told me on, uh, on the television as I'd watch these. This will revolutionize your child. My kids are like, boring. It's emptiness. And, and we're suckers. And God says, don't walk in the futility of your mind, pointless and aimless. Uh, Solomon had a solution to it. He got to the end of his life, he, he, had, he had eaten everything, taken every drug, drunk everything there was to drink, injected whatever there was to inject, I don't know if that needles back then, but he did it all. He did it all from one end to the other. He was with every woman, size, shape, form, whatever. He did it all, had it all. He says, empty. What's the point in life? And he said... In Ecclesiastes 12, he said, let us hear the conclusion of this whole matter. Here's the conclusion. Ready? Here's the secret. Pay attention. Fear God. Keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. In him, you'll find the fullness of joy you'll realize I am a delicate instrument created to bring pleasure to God and I've been being used as a hammer. And God's ready to restore you. The other thing is, it says, as we go on, it says that we no longer walk as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, but he says, having their understanding darkened, understanding darkened. And, and this idea is that we mull it over, this, this understanding, we're thinking things over and over and over again and, 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 and our understanding, our ability to comprehend and come to a conclusion on a matter, uh, why, why are we studying? See, it used to be, when you look at the word for, for God in Genesis, it's Elohim. And the Hebrews would say this is, this is a singular plurality. Uh, you know, let us, that's how it translates, let us make God in our own image. Or excuse me, let us make man in our own image. Excuse me, that's the other Bible. Uh, let us make man in our own image. 
And, and, and when it says us, it's this idea, it even speaks in the sense of the Trinity in, in the book of Genesis, singular plurality, or another way to look at the word Elohim is unified diversity, which is where we get the word university. We study all these ologies, whether it be anthropology, biology, sociology, for what sole purpose? Unified diversity, diverse study for a unified purpose, to glorify God, bring, bring pleasure to God. Without that being the pinnacle of what we do, it's just all ologies. And, and the futility of it, and even the foundation, that we have no foundation of why we study what we study, our, our understanding is darkened. And the world can never come to a proper conclusion or an application when their mind is darkened. I mean, think about it. Think about it. In the brilliance of the mind God's given us, but in the futility or the darkness of our mind, let's take a look at some of the greatest inventions of mankind. Let's look at the Manhattan Project. Was, you know, Los Alamos, New Mexico... Uh, here they are, the greatest scientists in the world gathering, probably, uh, and, and yet in my study, I haven't found any Christians of the, of the inner circle of the Manhattan Project, none. And they come up with, with nuclear energy, this idea of splitting the atom, atomic power, right? I mean, it's, it's a brilliant conclusion. And, and in the, their minds, they, they've, they've, they've been able to grasp this and this this conclusion, but what's their application of, of the conclusion of this, this understanding? They make a bomb. They make a bomb. Why? Because their minds are darkened. And what do you find? Hiroshima and Nagasaki leveled. Babies incinerated. And now we're fearful that in our lifetime we'll probably see in a major city in the United States some sort of a nuclear bomb go off. Major politicians saying not if, but when. And we think of ultrasound, the ability, the ability to look into the womb of a mother and see the baby being knitted together in its mother's womb and see the intricacies of it. Uh, over 85% of women who were considering abortion who looked at an ultrasound decided not to abort. Pretty amazing statistic because you look at it and you go, that's, that's not a blob of tissue, that's my baby. Ultrasound. But yet what does man do in, in the darkness of their understanding? What do they do? Their understanding having been darkened by sin, what do they do? They take an ultrasound and they do sex selection. Well, I don't want a girl. Let's get rid of it. Let's get, how about the internet? I mean, that's brilliant. I don't even know how it works. All I know is I can, I can be in my office and in three minutes I can be in a, in a library in Scotland looking at the works of, of the greatest theologians of our day, or, or of, of, of the past, excuse me. That's pretty amazing. There's no reason why a preacher should have a boring message in any church in America today. You can access billions of sermons already pre-printed for you. At least just print one out and read it. That's the internet. I mean, the, the, the brilliant. The, 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 the human mind to conceive this, that it that encompasses the world. I'm in Uganda... And I can access through Skype a video of, of my family and we're talking. Are you, are you kidding me? I'm out in the middle of, of Lake Victoria. That's brilliant. Anyone? And yet, having our understanding darkened, what do we do? We turn it into pornography that you can go into any of the most vile regions of the world in the darkest of decadence. And indulge the flesh. You, you, you can watch marriages disintegrate as you, you go on Ashley, whatever, uh, where, where you, can, you can find um, uh, somebody to cheat, cheat on your spouse with. You can get into a chat room and watch marriages disintegrate. You can go on Facebook and find your old flings from years ago and then watch as you develop a relationship and lose them. That's having our understanding darkened and Paul says, don't do that anymore. Don't, no longer. No longer. And then, look at the next one. Uh, having our understanding darker. This is being alienated from the life of God. Being alienated from the life of God. You know, without parameters, without parameters in life, without having God in the center of our life, there are no parameters. So everything is darkened. Everything is soiled by that. And, and it, one author said, we have, we, have improved, we have improved means to unimproved ends. We figured out amazing ways to make things that are worthless. Having our understanding darkened. But then this idea of alienated from a life of God. Well, why, why are we here? Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and life more abundant. 
And, and in, this, in this darkness of our mind, in, in the futility of our mind, having our understanding darkened, we're alienated from, from the life God has for us. I mean, is it, if, if, I, if I knew at 15 what I know at 47, I would never have done what I did. Those are tough conversations with your children. Daddy, did you ever? Yes, I did. But had I known then what I know now, I never would have. And had I not known today what I know, you wouldn't be here. And I wouldn't be in a marriage with your mother. It'd still be all about me. And I'd have everything I want, but nothing I need. Oh, oh! I've I've been at the bedside of a lot of folks who've died. Comes with a profession. Nobody's ever regretted serving the Lord ever. Nobody. Oh, but to the con contrary, <laughs> many a man or a woman that looks at what they've amassed in their life and they see how fruitless it is. And the only people around their, their hospital bed are the people who want their money. They don't love them. And the tension in the room so thick you can cut it with a knife. Oh, that's a pleasant life, isn't it? Isn't it? The only people in your life are your accountants. What an awful existence. I tell you, I love my family. I love being connected with them. I love the way the Lord ministers to me through their life and the joy it brings me. And uh, for those of you who have young children right now and you're wondering if it's worth it, I got news for you. Put the career aside. Raise those babies. Love on them. Pour into them. Keep a parent at home however you got to do that. You'll never regret it. Never. My dad, and I've told you this before, before he went to the rest home and his mind was slipping, he'd always take you on a tour of the house because that's the one thing he could remember. It was, it, 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 it was something that was ingrained in him. It was habit. You walk in the house and he'd want to take me on a tour. Now, I grew up in the house. <laughs> I know every, 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 and, but every time you come. And then when he'd finish a tour, he'd want to take you on the tour again. And, and on this one hallway in the last place they resided, on the one hallway on the right-hand side were all of his accolades, his bronze star, his legion of merit, uh, you know, city council, uh, you know, n navy captain, his, his swords, his medals, the Time magazine articles, the, all those on the right side of the wall and on the left side of the wall were all the family pictures. You know my dad would never show you the right side of the wall. He always showed you the left side of the wall. Do you know that when my dad worked for Great American Savings Bank, which is now Chase. I think everything's Chase now. <laughs> and, and, and when he worked for the U.S. Navy, the city council, time, do you know that none of those people on the right side of the wall ever come to visit him in the rest home? You know it's all the people on the left side of the wall? That's life and life more abundant. It comes in serving people, not taking from them. And so that's what the Lord points out through the Apostle Paul, alienated from the life of God. And he says, because of the ignorance. Everyone say ignorance. ignorance. Think about this. You know how hard it is to be ignorant of God? Psalm 119 says that the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. Psalm 118, excuse me. Or Psalm 18. It declares the glory of the Lord. I'll get it later. It declares the, the and the heavens declares handiwork. I mean, everything in creation says, listen, everything in creation says, there is a God, there is a God, there is a God, there is a God, there is a God. Uh, it, seasons, you know, sunrise, sunset, seasons come, there is a God, there's order, there is a God, delicate balance in the universe, there is a God, babies born, fingernails in order, I, there is a God. Structure, DNA, cells, little single cells, it, they're, listen, they're, 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 because they're small, doesn't mean they're simple. 
for, for folks who, who declare evolution that we've evolved from a single cell, one cell is amazing. It's amazing. There is a God. There is a God. And in the ignorance, we write them off. And every day, the Holy Spirit, the Bible says that he's in the world. He's a restrainer of evil. And he's, he's, he comes alongside. He brings conviction of sin. He leads us into the truth that we'd know the truth and the truth would set us free. But we, but we walk around because we've taken a comparative religion class at Moore Park College. And, and somehow we are brilliant. And, and we read somewhere on the Internet and we, we've come to the conclusion that the Bible is inerrant and it's written by men and it's full of, of, of farces and stories and fables. Really? Oh, you brilliant Moorpark graduate, you. I mean, a multitude of studies that have brought you to that conclusion that you're just going to write God off. That's ignorance. Stupidity. It's ridiculous. Let's sit down for an afternoon and let me, let me hear your brilliance. And I'll tell you what, I'm no wise old owl, but I'll tear holes in your argument just like that. One person said, well, if I could see miracles, what kind of miracles? Like an arm that's been cut off, that's regenerated. And I looked at him and I said, okay, we've been, we've been going over this long enough. So you're saying if, if I can show you an arm that's been regenerated, you right now will give your life to Jesus Christ and submit to his authority that you will no longer walk in the futility of your mind or having your understanding darkened or alienated from the life of God. If I can show you that, you right now, you promise me you'll give your heart to the Lord if I give you that evidence. Well, no, no, I don't promise that. So it has nothing to do with the evidence. This is an issue with your will. And God bless him. He said, yes. Yeah. I'm just not ready to submit to God. Because the evidence is abundant. And you come up with all kinds of excuses. But the smarter you get if you really pursue it, the, the more you realize how wrong you are. And, and you know what? The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you don't know the Lord, you're ignorant. You're walking in ignorance. Number five, when we see this idea of ignorance that is in them, because it's, as it goes on to say, because of the blindness of their heart. It's not the best translation because it goes on to say blindness of their heart who being past feeling. Uh, I like this idea, blindness of the heart. It's more like an idea of a loss of sensation, a loss of sensation. Kind of like if you go out on a work site and it's your first day and, and it's digging ditches and they give you a shovel and, and they go, here's some gloves. You go, I don't need gloves. And you're looking around at these, you know, salty guys and you're digging. You're like, I don't need gloves. And, you know, about, you know, 20 minutes into it, you got a blister. You're like, oh, this is a blister. And you keep shoveling. If you show up the next day and you're shoveling, you're gonna, your hands are just going to be a mass of, of scar tissue. And, you know, you're, you're not going to feel anything and you, you're not going to be able to work delicately. And, you know, you go to touch your wife's face and you're like, I know I'm touching something, but I don't feel it. You know, it's just, it's just callous. It's all callous. Because you didn't wear gloves. And you had a loss of sensation. Well, the heart becomes senseless. It becomes calloused. It, it, it has this lack of feeling, this loss of sensation. Listen, conviction of sin is not God's permission. It's not God's permission to allow you to continue in the sin. He gives you the conviction so you walk away from it. He forgives you. He's merciful. But it's not so you go, hey, I got away with it, let's do it again. And what happens is, you're going to hear a message like this, and it's the gospel, which is euangelion, which means good news. You're going to hear this good news that God loves you. He, he, he no longer wants you alienated from Him. He wants to have a relationship. You've been created for His pleasure. He's come that you might have life, life more abundant. He's come to set you free of the law of sin and death by the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Today's the first day of the rest of your life, and you're going to be a new creature in Christ by giving your heart to the Lord receiving his provision for your sin, which, his, which, which was his death on the cross. He'll cleanse you and he'll cast your sin as far as east is from the west to be remembered no more. You'll be a new creature in Christ. And I present that gospel to you. And I say, if you believe in your heart, confess with your tongue that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. And right now your heart's pounding your chest and you're feeling it and you're like, I know this is true and there is a God, there is a God, there is a God, there is a God. And you know it. And these words are resonating with you and they're true. But you look around, you see your friends next to you, your loved one, you're thinking, well, my spouse is probably going to, I just, I, it's, it costs us too. And you walk out and you don't respond to the gospel. It's going to be a lot easier next time to forget my words. And then over time, you just become hardened. And then the calluses on your hand become the calluses on your heart because you never allowed God to protect your life. You never wanted his ordinances in your life. You never wanted the hindrances of that. 
And then your heart becomes hardened. And, and just, that's the tragedy of it. This loss of sensation, this blindness of your heart. And then as we've, we've looked at these five, there's, there's three others I'm just going to conclude with real quick, real, real quickly. Because what a person thinks, pay attention to this, what a person thinks will translate into, into how they live. What a person thinks will translate into what they do. What a person thinks will translate into how they live, yes? Right? And so, so in this, Paul says, this is, this is what's happening to their mind, so this is how they end up living. And he says they're past feeling, and so they give themselves over to lewdness, and they work all kinds of uncleanness with greediness. Lewdness is, is this idea of all manner of sin just explodes. I mean, you, you, you've, removed, you've removed all the parameters, you've removed all the boundaries, you've removed all the walls, and now God is dead, it's declared, Time Magazine, have at it, and everyone does what they want to do, and if it feels good, do it. And, and you know what? That, that really gets strange. If it feels good, do it. I mean, I, I know people... That do some really weird things. Because it feels good. Do I need to elaborate? We got children in the room. But it feels good. Speaking of children, do some people think about that? And who are you to tell them that it's wrong? It seems like that's the last parameter that we haven't destroyed in our culture is this idea that children are off limits, but even that's falling down. I mean, you go into Planned Parenthood and you, you, you have an undercover camera and you tell them that your, your boyfriend is abusing you and he won't let you, you know, it, that he's demanding that you have, you have to get rid of this child and, and, and you're underage and he's overage and it's, it's declared by law to be statutory and, and, uh, and the, the person on the other end of the camera just says, well, we'll take care of the pregnancy. He doesn't report it to anyone. So our children aren't even protected anymore. And we wouldn't want to talk about protecting children. How, how about the millions that we destroy every year? Every snap is an abortion in our country. That's how fast it's happening. Cure to cancer, Gone. Cured leukemia, diabetes. That child was born with that instrumentation to be able to develop that and come up with it. Gone, 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 gone. Half my generation, gone. All parameters are removed. All the parameters are removed. So it's lewdness. Every manner of sin has exploded. Anyway, let's, let's take bath salts, for example. Isn't that a fun one? And we thought it was just innocent that people were just watching cannibals and, and you're shooting them on your iPhone. I mean, it's entertainment. Come on. And you're killing cannibals on your iPhone. Or you're watching it on, the, you know, and you, and carjacking or whatever. You just, how far do you want to take it for entertainment? You just go all out. And time after time after time after time after time. And you're just, these images and they're solidifying. And then you take a little bit of bath salts. Next thing you know, you're on a freeway eating another Anyone not hear that? So I'm just worried about the kids. Anyone? Do you know what I'm speaking of? What happened? Big word cannibalism. And now it's happening. And then you got this guy running all over Europe and they're trying to find him. Where does it stop? The parameters are removed. And then my favorite word that just sickens me. I hate this word. And I'm sure it's going to be broadcast. And I'm going to be considered, you know, the reverse of it, which is awful in our society, to be labeled this. Let me tell you the word I hate the most. Not the most, but one of the words. Ready? Tolerance. Tolerance. Sin is never tolerant, or excuse me, the truth is never tolerant of a lie. It just, just isn't. There's one person who agrees with me. <laughs> the, the truth is never tolerant of a lie. But why is the mantra tolerance? Because in our culture with tolerance... The reason, why, the reason why it's this way, I'm sorry about that, you guys. I apologize. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Praise the Lord, I'm refreshed. <laughs> All right. Tolerance. Let's just think about this for a minute. You know why that's the mantra? 
Because when you remove all the parameters and there is no God and you walk in the, it, it, your understanding is dark and you walk in the futility of your mind and you're alienated from a life of God and there is no moral foundation, it's all removed, then really all you can kind of do is just tolerate what's around you and just try to survive. Let's just get along. Tolerance. And you know what? You must tolerate me. But the only people we don't tolerate are the intolerant. Don't you dare tell me I'm wrong. The minute that you lay down the line and you say somebody's wrong, and you're not including everybody, you're awful. And then I get labeled intolerant. There's no moral authority to draw any lines. My moral authority comes from the absolutes of God's word. But we, we don't receive that. We don't believe that. There is no God. There is no God. There is no God. They're not created the image of man. They're a blob. Blob of tissue. It's a girl. I don't want it. I want boys. Better money. No moral authority to draw any lines. Who are you to tell me I'm wrong? And then you get people devouring one another, literally. And once you remove God, now you have to rede redefine everything. It's all open for redefinition. And you guys are wondering, what happened to the, to the America of my childhood? We're walking with a darkened understanding. There's always a saying, before you remove any wall, you might want to ask folks why that wall was there to begin with. I mean, we're really good at tearing down walls. And now we're flooded with immorality because those walls were there for a reason. Why do they say that you can't sell alcohol and pornography within a one-mile radius of a school? Who are they to tell me what I can and can't do? Oh, founding fathers, they built that wall there to protect the children. Why? We'll just get in through another angle. We'll make it part of the curriculum to teach pornography. And then you get to a place where it's this uncleanness and this greediness, and you just, you just don't have shame anymore. You don't, you don't, you don't have, there's no shame. You know, when I was growing up, it, it used to, it, it was a shame that you slept around. Or you shacked up. Now it's a badge of honor. You know, we, we had to change the name of Crisis Pregnancy Center because women don't look at being single and pregnant as a crisis anymore. I now get benefits. And what do they call shacking up? Friends with benefits. It's no longer a shame. It's no, no longer immoral. It's just your past feeling. And the one thing as a pastor you must never do, the one thing you must never do as a pastor is make someone feel guilty. Oh, I... <laughs> I promise you this. I will never make you feel guilty without feeling guilty myself. I will walk through the same conviction you walk through. You know why? Because I'm in the same boat as you are. We're going to go through it together. If you want sunshine blowing your way and you want feel-good messages, we'll have a few of those. But I'm telling you, you're, 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 there's going to be conviction of sin. God doesn't want you to remain the way you are. That's why he says, no longer. We're almost finished. You guys are getting tired of me. But the idea is you just don't want to hurt anybody, so don't make them feel bad. Don't, don't hurt their ego. Don't, don't. And now what? The church, don't talk about abortion. Don't talk about divorce. Why? Because you've been affected by it? So have I. It's wrong. No longer. No longer. It's Ephesus. We're changing. Praise the Lord. It's called revival. And yeah, we will talk about it. And if it, if it convicts you, great. It doesn't condemn you. I'm not here to condemn you. Conviction's a good thing. 
And this idea of sexual immorality, this lewdness that it speaks of in the scriptures, it, 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 lewdness could be a lust for food, a lust for power, a lust for sex. And, and here's the idea. There's never enough. <clears throat> you never feel good. You just feel worse afterwards. And then you need more of it. And then you get more of it and you feel even worse. And then, and you know what? It's never satiated until you're dead. How do you fix it? What do we do? It's one thing that Paul would say, no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. It's like God gives a command. But here's the one thing that's always powerful. And this is when you find in the gospel accounts, Jesus walks up to the man who's, who's by the pool of Bethsaida, I think it was, and, and he'd been there for 38 years. And, the, and the, the theory was that when the angels would stir the water, the first one in would get healed. And so for 38 years, this crippled man is waiting by the waters for the angels to stir the water. And Jesus walks up to this guy. For 38 years, he's been sitting there just, you know, and atrophied, and his legs are just all contorted and thin and no muscular work. And he walks up and he says, do you want to be made well? And the guy goes into a whole dissertation. Well, I never could get to the water, and the other people get there before me. When the angels stir the water, and Jesus goes, I didn't ask you that. I don't want to hear the whole story. I don't want to hear the background. I don't want to hear your mother didn't breastfeed you. I don't want to hear any of that. Do you want to be made well? Yes or no? God will never give you a command without giving you the power to execute that command. He says, grab your mat and get up. He was healed. When the Lord says, no longer walk, He says, I'll give you the strength to will and to do of my good pleasure. Both the power to will and the power to do of His good pleasure. That's why in the last portion of the verse, he says, but you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Let the Lord be the standard of your life. You wake up every day and you put on Christ. You put on Christ. But look, we live in a fallen world. All things are permissible, not all things are profitable. But you don't have to walk in, the, in, the, in darkened understanding or the futility of your mind. The beautiful thing about giving your heart to Christ is everything now makes sense. And all things work together for good with those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. You're no longer in bondage anymore. He comes to set the captives free. Do you want to be made well? Or do you want to keep making excuses? Uh, 38 years I've been trying to get, I don't, I, I, so I can hear your story, I can listen, I can show empathy. But I want to ask you a question. Do you want to be made well? Do you want to walk in accordance with what God desires? If you do, then God says no longer. And I got news for you, there are some in the room, believers, Christians, you're doing things you shouldn't be doing. It's killing you. And, 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 and the, the tenderest way possible as the Holy Spirit speaks to you, let these words echo. I, I, I hope they walk with you all day. Two words. I had you repeat them. No longer. It's over today. Come on, folks. There's a world that needs us. Let's live in such a manner that's worthy of the calling that's been placed upon us. No longer walk as the Gentiles walk. We're finished with that. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, you're tender.